This is the day that the Lord has made. Amen. It is great to be together. It's wonderful to see you all this morning. At this time, I'd like to invite you to stand as we join in our hymn of celebration, 452, My Faith Looks Up to Thee.
As we continue with a joy and thanksgiving, may we join in our prayer hymn, 526, What a Friend We Have in Jesus.
for those who are sick and hurting, those who hunger and thirst, those who struggle to make ends meet, those who live it with the threats and the reality of war. God, there are so many things that we could lift up in prayer and you know our hearts. So may we come to you in silence to spend but a moment to feel your spirit move, to be refreshed and restored, to just catch our breath from the week that was and the week that will be. We come to you now in silence. But deliver us from evil, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. gifts, tithes, and offerings.
God, we give you thanks and praise as we offer to you our gifts, tithes, and offerings. May you receive these and use them for the ministry of your church. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, in whose name we pray. Amen. Amen. Listen and receive a reading from the Word of God. Create in us a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within us, according to your grace and mercy. May we affirm our faith with joy and a willing spirit as we hear the scripture from St. Mark, chapter 9, verses 14 through 24. When they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them and some scribes arguing with them. When the whole crowd saw him, they were, they were immediately overcome with awe, and they ran forward to greet him. He asked them, what are you arguing about with them? Someone from the crowd answered him, teacher, I brought you, brought you my son, and he has a spirit that makes him unable to speak, and whenever it seizes him, it dashes him down, and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. And I asked your disciples to cast it out, but they could not do so. He answered them, your, faithful, your faithless generation, how much longer must I be among you? How much longer must I put up with you? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him. When the spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy, and he fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. Jesus asked the father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. It has often cast him into the fire and into the water to destroy him, but if you are able to do anything, have pity on us and help us. Jesus said to him, If you are able, all things can be done for the one who believes. Immediately, the father of the child cried out, I believe. Help my unbelief. This is God's word to God's people. Thanks be to God. May we pray. Glorious God, we give you thank you. We give you thanks for the reading of your word that continues to shape and transform lives and hearts. May we have an ears to hear, a willingness to receive and to listen that we too might be transformed. We give you thanks and praise that we might join together on this day to receive your grace, your word, and your presence in our lives. Through Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray, amen. Over the last several weeks, we have been uh, doing our series on religion versus relationship. So again, I'd like to draw your attention to the side wall as we begin with the video. Here's a few reasons why people don't go to church. I can't come to church until I get my life together. Church is how I got my life together. Church is filled with a bunch of hypocrites. And there's always room for one more. All they care about is your money. They care about me, not about my money. A dress code? Yes, the code is wear some clothes. Church, it just makes me nervous. I was nervous at first, and then I felt right at home. I'm not sure I believe everything that you believe. But you can still belong. Church is for wimpy girly men. You want to say that again? If you knew me and what I've done, you wouldn't want me. If you knew me and what I've done, you wouldn't be worried. You can come to my church even if you were brought up 
Catholic. Baptist. Methodist. Jewish. Mormon. Lutheran. Pentecostal. Presbyterian. Church of Christ. Southern Baptist. A little bit of everything and a whole lot of nothing. See, it's not about a religion. It's about a relationship. So please, come to my church. Where nobody's perfect. Where beginners are welcome. Where socks are optional. But grace is required. Where forgiveness is offered. Where hope is alive. And where it's okay to not be okay. Really. When it comes to beliefs, we know that there are certain things in this world or certain things that we all accept without question. For example, we know that zebras are black with white stripes, right? Or tigers are orange with black stripes. June, July, and August are winter months, and there are only six continents. And all those are actually true statements depending on where you live in the world. But there's some things that we can debate forever. You know that old, uh, that old saying, is the glass half empty or is it half full? But if you're an engineer, you know that's the wrong question to, to ask. That's the wrong thing to say. Because as an engineer, you know it's just that the cup is too big. <laughs> this morning, we continue to look at our series on religion versus relationship. And today we begin excuse number five. I don't believe everything you believe. When it comes to the beliefs that we hold, we all hold them. And most, if not all of us, have strong ones on a myriad of topics. And those beliefs are formed over time through, through the course of our life experiences and by the things that we've been taught. If you were to look up the definition of belief and what a belief is, there are several that come up, but I wanted to share two with you. Belief is an acceptance that a statement is true or that something exists. Belief is a firmly held opinion or religious conviction. Belief is a statement, an acceptance that a statement is true or something exists. Belief is a firmly held opinion or religious conviction. So to look at the differences or look at how the differences of what we believe affect the people who come to church, what better place to start than to look at one of Jesus's miracles? You know, leading into this passage, if you were to look right before this passage in chapter 9, we would see that Jesus, James, John, and Peter had gone up the mountain. It's called the Transfiguration. And to start the chapter 9, they're at this mountaintop, and here is Jesus, and Moses appears, and Elijah appears on either side of him. And Jesus shines like the sun. The radiance comes upon him as the voice of God is heard saying, This is my son with whom I am well pleased. And there on the mountaintop, Peter says, let's build an altar. Let's you know, worship God because we're here in his presence. However, when they left the mountaintop in the glory of God's presence, they, re they re-enter into the reality of humanity with its disagreements and its fights and its dissension and all of this stuff going on. Jesus himself even found that his disciples were embroiled in a controversy with the scribes, with the teachers of the law, arguing with the people over why they could not exercise the demon from a child. And Jesus walks into this argument. And I chose this passage because when it comes to the miracle stories, especially this one, one dealing with exorcism, we tend to believe different things about it. For example, we debate whether this boy was really possessed or was it simply that he had epilepsy. Now, this is a minor point and this is a minor discussion but sometimes our differences in belief 
can lead to an argument, especially when we get to the passages that are more challenging to understand or when we get to the passages that kind of challenge us in our own understanding of theology or understanding of who God is. And some of those things can lead to a fight. It reminds me of the, the two United Methodists, lifelong friends who hadn't seen each other in a number of years. One lived in the southeast, one lived in the west, and they ran into each other at an airport. And so they started talking and saying, hey, how's life going? And as their conversation continued, they started to raise some of the questions. Hey, do you believe in the Trinity? Yes, hey, me too. Do you believe in symbolism or consubstantiation? I believe in symbolism. Hey, me too. And they had these theological questions asked over and over and over again. And they agreed on so many things. And all of a sudden, they got to the one dreaded question that every person hates. One person asked, one Methodist asked the other one. Just to, just to ask, does your pastor believe in a wooden pulpit or a plastic pulpit? And they never spoke again. <laughs> Many of the things that we debate or discuss or get into arguments over, we realize aren't that vital to the core of our faith. and aren't vital to that which we hold fast to. But arguing over beliefs is nothing new. Even Jesus is addressing it. He calls to attention this exact issue when he asks, what are you arguing about? What are you fighting over? Regardless of how we view this boy's condition or try to figure out what's really happening in this passage, it does not change the suffering that the father experiences for his son. It doesn't change the suffering that the son experiences, nor does it take away the shame and the ridicule in public that the disciples are experiencing. You see, we wrestle with our beliefs about the miraculous, but overlook how the crowds responded with fearful amazement, and they ran to greet Jesus as he came into their midst. Mark never tells us why the people were filled with awe when they saw Jesus. Maybe it was his sudden arrival that took him by surprise. Maybe there was something of an air of authority when he came into the place they couldn't help but notice. Or maybe just maybe there was something about his countenance, having come down from the mountaintop, experiencing the presence of God and having God in him being fully divine. The effects of that transfiguration may have been beyond imagination. Yet we're confronted with the reality that there was an inability for the disciples to put their belief in God's ability to do the miraculous. As a result, it limited their ability to minister. Because of the disciples' inability to believe in God's abilities, it limited their opportunity to minister. And this is really a larger issue that we face in the church today. Not that we all believe the same way, but how our inability to believe in God's abilities can affect our opportunity to minister and to really touch lives. If we look at this passage further, look how Jesus responded to this argument. He asks, how much longer? You know, he's not trying to get rid of the disciples. He doesn't want to throw them out and get 12 more. Rather, he laments how little time he has left to make an impact, to soften hearts and lead the disciples to a faith that allows them to bring forth a transformation in this world through God's power. Jesus doesn't throw up his hands and say, in disgust, throw him out. He, does, he instead immediately takes action to meet the father exactly where he was. As the father approaches him, 
You know, Jesus doesn't turn away. He doesn't start talking with the disciples. He meets the father and addresses not the demon nor the possession. Rather, he addresses the questions directly to a distraught father. And I think this is the heart of this passage. It's not about the exorcism. It's about a distraught father who stands in the presence of Christ. Though there are plenty of people who stay away from church because their beliefs do differ from that of the church, there are also plenty of people who stay away from church because they don't see the beliefs that we put into action. Or better yet, they don't get the opportunity to experience Christ, to experience God's presence in their midst because they see the arguments rather than the unity. You know, in today's churches, we fight about what we believe while people who are hurting and daily living wait for us to put our beliefs into practice. You know, I know as a pastor, I, I read all the news of the church and find out what's going on in the life of the church. And just a few months ago, we had our general conference. And, you know, even in the national news, but in the Methodist circuits, you heard all of the, the disagreements and fightings and arguments, and you see it played out day to day. And I get emails all the time, and Gary gets emails all the time asking us what's going on and what's happening, and people wanting to know about these fights and these arguments and these disagreements. But we miss the opportunity to put the faith, which is work, uh, faith, which is action, into practice, our beliefs into practice. I love that old saying, this is where the rubber meets the road. You know, we can be shut in a church, and we can remove ourselves from the issues that plague this world and the, the, the problems that people face in their everyday life. Or we can therefore go into all the world making disciples of Jesus Christ. We can live true to what our mission statement is, to make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. You see, faith is an action. It requires that we put our feet to what we believe. Hebrews tells us that faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the assurance of things unseen. You know, the joy in putting to action our belief is that we bring Christ into this world. James tells us this faith without works is dead. Because we believe, our actions must follow suit. We can't say we believe, or we can say we believe almost anything. I could sit up here and tell you all the things that I believe, but if we're not willing to go forth and put those beliefs into action, then we fail to live by faith. If we simply say, this is what I believe, this is what I believe, but we don't live it out, what good are we? Have we missed the point? You know, as the father watched the arguments rage around him and, and the disciples fighting with the, with the teachers of the law, you have to wonder what went through this father's mind. He knew that he was suffering. He knew that his son was suffering. And here are these people who were supposed to bring the power of God to his presence and they're arguing with each other. We can hear the despair in his voice when he says to Jesus, if you can do anything, he's crying out, he's calling out for help. And the father seems not to doubt that Jesus can do it, but he begins to wonder, will you do something? Are you wanting to do something in my hurt? And this is the same issue I believe that we as Christians face in our beliefs and in our practice, and this is an issue that we see the world over. I think that there are many individuals, because I hear it all the time and I see it all the time, people saying, what will you do to share Christ with people in need? Just the other night, I was at a Bible study, 
And in that Bible study, we had a conversation. And the question was asked, you know, what should we do when we see someone standing at a street corner asking for money? How are we to respond? And from that conversation, it, you know, as all conversations do, it did one of these. And we got onto the conversation of, well, are you supposed to tithe pre-tax or post-tax? You know, and all of the questions that we talk about in church. And finally, I raised the question saying, rather than asking, what are we to do? Why do we do that which we do? Do we do it to pat ourselves on the back? Or do we do it to bring glory to God that the kingdom will come now in order that the things that shake us will burn away and our true foundation will be formed? See, we were studying Hebrews 13. And my question for that night was based on Hebrews 12. It built one upon the other. When it comes to faith, it's why do we do that, which we do to bring glory to God, to bring God's purpose and, and God's glory and God's presence and power to this world, or just to go through the motions. You know, I love Jesus' response to the dad, because he says, everything is possible for him who believes. And the father yells out, I believe, help my unbelief. You know, coming to church doesn't mean that we have to hold all of the identical beliefs. In fact, I often joke in Methodism, you know, there's a broad spectrum of theology in the Methodist church. And there are those who argue, well, Methodism doesn't have a core theology, and those who does, but it, those who say it does. But if you look at our book of discipline, the one untouchable section that can't be changed is our theology section. It can't be, it can't be amended or reversed. And in that, we make clear statements about God, about the sovereignty of God, about the, the role of Jesus, the salvation through Jesus, and all of these different theological statements. But you see, by believing and by coming to church, we strengthen what we believe in order to go into the world. And that's why if you look right above the door, we're reminded when we depart, we're depart to serve you know, we come here that we might be strengthened to go forth into action. You know, if we believe in the power and the presence of God to touch lives, then by the very nature of that belief, we should want to share God's power and God's presence with people in need. If we believe that God can do great things, don't we want to bring that to people and to share that with people? This doesn't mean we have the ability to do everything nor are we capable of doing everything, but it does affirm that we will not set limits on what God can do in and through us. If we believe God can do mighty things, it means that we begin to let go of the excuses. Like the video says, if you only have known what I had done, God will do greater things. You know, we hold back or we believe it, but when it comes to putting that belief into action, it gets harder. We can give a laundry list of reasons as to why God couldn't use us. And trust me, I've given every reason why I should not be a pastor. You know, but God still calls me to be a pastor. You know, we might prefer to remain at the transfiguration. We might prefer to stay in our comfort zone and stay with what we believe and why we believe it. And to stay in the confines of our church. But you see, God calls us to come down from that mountain to where the cries for help are the loudest because this is where we put our faith in our, or this is where we put our beliefs into practice. It's not on a mountaintop. It's in the valleys. 
where real life happens. People might think, and probably correctly sometimes, that the current state of the church is about arguing rather than helping people or praying. And, and oftentimes they're probably correct. We do fight a lot in churches. People in dire straits don't care about our wealth of knowledge. They care that there will be someone there to embrace them, there to meet their need. They're just to stand next to them and say, I love you. Let's just sit here. You know, far too many times people have turned away from God and turned away from the church because they've, turned, they've been turned off by our petty bickering. And those bickerings can sometimes be more about winning an argument within the church or in the secular world than sharing the word of God and sharing God's love with people. We can all think of experiences in churches where we've seen those fights happen and the results of what that fighting can do. You know, we can debate who's right, who's wrong, who's at fault. But all the while, the world stands by helplessly hurting with everyday life, waiting to encounter God's miraculous touch in that moment, in their time of need. In a secular world, the church is becoming irrelevant. It's no longer a place to come for help for people. Maybe it's because we're too caught up thinking about heavenly things or earthly controversies that we forget how to help, how to do a simple gesture. You know, but I believe, and this passage tells us, people come to Jesus, not to us. When the father approached Jesus, he said, I brought my son to you. Doesn't say I brought my son to the disciples. But the good news of Jesus Christ draws people with a deep sense of desperation to God. Though not to us, God still works in and through us. We become opportunities and vessels that God can use to touch lives and to change situations. You know, for any of you who have ever experienced a loved one who suffered, it's easy to understand this father's pain. It's easy to understand his love for his son, the anger, frustration, the anguish, and not knowing who to turn to for help and not knowing how the outcome would look. You know, in their hearts, sometimes it seems like something else is taking control. And in certain situations, the reality of death and the reality of the unknown supersedes the things that can help. When hope are, hopes are raised only to be dashed, it gets harder to find hope that God is actually going to do something great. And when people see fighting and bickering, it becomes even harder to see God's benevolence. You know, too often we say, well, just have faith. And yet living out one's faith, you know, isn't easy to do. And it grows harder as the tragedies occur, as the situations arise, as those health issues, those marital issues, those problems come. Yet the joy is that doubt and belief are intertwined. It's okay to doubt. And it's okay to wonder. And there's always going to be an internal tension. There's a song by Michael W. Smith and I love that I love. In it, it's a conversation between a person and Jesus. And they go back and forth. But the chorus says, one million miles. It starts with a step or two. And Jesus asks, what are you waiting for? I'm waiting for you. You see, we're not marionettes on string where God's just going to play with us and lift our foot at one step at a time. God says, I want you to put your right foot and your left foot out. It's something we learn as kids. We learn as toddlers how to walk, as babies how to walk. 
God says, I want to walk with you. I'm not going to drag you and I'm not going to push you. I'm going to walk with you. You know, the challenge for us today is taking what we believe in God and learning to share it. Not that we're always going to have it right. And not that we're always going to have every answer for every situation. And that's okay. It's still the need to share and to live by faith. I want to close with a thought from a Fuller professor. His name is Lewis Meads. And he wrote this, he wrote this paragraph. And it's, I think it's a beautiful paragraph and a great reminder. He says, they came to my church on Sunday. Ordinary people did, but I didn't recognize them. I didn't want them to be ordinary people. I wanted them to be spiritual athletes, shoulders strong to bear the burdens of global justice that my prophetic words laid on them. But while I was offering them the precious promises and walloping them with heroic mandates from the word of God, many of them were secretly praying, God, I don't think I can make it through another week. Help me. What they have in common is a sense that everything is all wrong where it matters to them most. What they desperately need is a miracle of faith to know that life at the center is all right. You see, the joy in being a church isn't that we have our lives together and perfect, but that we know that at the center, everything will be all right. And the joy of a church is our center, our core is our faith, that God will never, ever leave us nor forsake us. That God's grace, God's love, and God's mercy abounds. So I pray today that we will share that love. That we'll share that grace. That when you find yourself wanting to argue or bicker, take a step back. Breathe. Enjoy God's presence in your midst. And don't miss the opportunity to minister. May we pray. God, we give you thanks and praise that you have called us as a community in faith, that though our beliefs might not be the same, that our desire to serve might be, that our desire to share your light and your grace, to be your presence here to a, in a hurting world, in the lives of friends and of families who hurt, may we be your peace, and your presence. God, I give you thanks for this day, for even one opportunity to share your love and your light through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. I'd like to invite you to stand as we join in our hymn of dedication, Stand Up and Bless the Lord, number 662.
take a hand of those standing around you, give a little squeeze, and as you give a little squeeze, maybe even turn and say, I got your back. I'm there with you. May you go forth today to continue holding fast to one another's hand, to ever be a witness that relationships are good, that they're great. May we go forth to share God's love and mercy now and forever. Go in peace. Thank you.